0: We are continuing our series on seeding the clouds. And in this series, I've talked to you about how science has discovered that they can literally seed the clouds and make it rain. That's incredible. Well, I mean, it just blows my mind when I try to wrap my mind around it. And they have used any number of things from dry ice to salt to flares to uh, silver, the uh, uh, dioxide, I believe it is called, uh, dioxide or something like that. But they have used all of these substances and literally make it rain. And they have, they've done this very successfully in drought-stricken areas, and they've done this uh, and do this often at the ski slopes. When there is no snow, they can now make it snow just by sending an airplane up and seeding the clouds. And uh, they do this because uh, they, they don't wanna lose the tourist season, that's very brief, and they can't wait on Mother Nature. There are all kind of questions being raised about that, like, we wonder if some of this crazy weather we see going on might not be attributed to some of this stuff, man messing with nature. Who knows? But I want to turn to the Song of Solomons and uh, a Song of Solomon rather, and or some call it the Song of Songs. And I want to read a verse of scripture, chapter one, verse four. I'm only going to read the first clause of this particular verse it simply says draw me away we will run after you i want you to say that with me draw me away we will run after you i could go into the background that this is the shulamite speaking to the king and her lover draw me away and i will run after you she and her companions i won't spend any time on that but I want you to let the profundity of that statement grip your hearts. And then in James 4 verse 8, also the first clause. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The first passage from the Song of Psalms, the Song of Solomon, says that if we will draw near to God, if we will pursue after him, then... It's because he has drawn us that God will put it in our hearts to pursue him. And what it actually positions God is doing is first placing the desire in our hearts to seek him and then we respond. But the second text phrases it differently. It tells us that if we will draw near to God first that he will then come close to us you see the difference one says that if god will draw me i will respond the other says i'm going to seek god first and he will respond and so which is right that poses a question in my mind do we seek god first or wait for him to call us actually They're both right. I want to speak today from the subject, seeding the Clouds in Your Personal Devotional Life. Father, I pray that you will speak to us now, open your word, impact us with the revelation of your word and anoint that word to speak directly to each individual in that unique way that you have of calling the word, causing the word of God to be relevant to each one. Hide me behind the cross and you speak and reveal yourself I ask in Jesus name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Rain is important. It really is. In nature rain means the difference between life or death. And what they do in the natural by seeding the clouds, we can do in the spiritual realm. And that's why I've been teaching this. There is literally no area of your life where rain can be more life-changing than in the area of your personal devotional life. Now, you can seed the clouds in relationships. If you want to be friends with people, you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. Seed the clouds. If you want to someday have money, you know, put something away. Don't spend everything you've got or like many Americans do, about 20% more than you actually have. Seed the clouds for your future retirement. This applies at so many different levels, it's not even funny. You want a good marriage, seed the clouds. Give love and it will come back to you. But let me say this first, before I even begin. It's really easy to overlook the value of rain when you are in a place where you get a whole lot of it. (laughs) Think about it. You ever step outside and have the umbrella ripped apart by the wind that you are experiencing and it's raining and you get soaking wet? That's been me on many an occasion. Ever happened to anybody else? I've had umbrellas turn inside out. Here's an idea. Build a good umbrella and the world will beat a path to your door. (laughs) Because I've sure bought a lot of them that were not so good. I love Houston. I really do. I love this city. I love the diversity. We're the most diverse city in the United States of America. I don't know if you know that. We are. I love the food because of the diversity of people. We have everything here you can imagine from gumbo to tacos, from Moroccan food to Turkish food to you name it. Latin and South American food. Oh my goodness. Anything you want, you can find it in this city. And I do love good food. And I love the fact that everything is green here, amen. This is an incredible city. Now, I didn't always think so. Years ago when I lived in Louisiana and I was traveling, I would travel through this city and the traffic was nightmarish. And I used to say, Lord, if you ever call me to pastor, let it be anywhere but Houston, Texas. <laughs> and I learned something, you never tell God never, amen. I also loved Phoenix, Arizona. And before I came here, I considered starting a church in Phoenix, Arizona. I loved Phoenix. I loved preaching there. I loved Camelback Mountain. I loved the Superstition Mountains. I loved the desert. I loved the Sowero Cactus. I loved Phoenix. I loved the people. It was a great place to be. The problem was everything was brown. And I would talk to people who lived there and I would ask them. And many of them had moved there because it was a, a, like a magnet, it drew people from across the United States. I would ask them what they thought about living there. And they all said the same thing. They all said, we love it, except for one thing. You really get tired of everything being brown all the time. And if Phoenix is listening right now, please don't take offense to this, amen. But do you know why Houston is green and Phoenix is brown? Anybody know? Rain. That's why, rain. We average 50 inches of rainfall in Houston a year. That's the reason that Hurricane Harvey a few years ago was so catastrophic. We received 62 and one half inches in parts on the east side of Houston in three and a half days. That's 125% more rain than we normally get in a whole year. But that was just three and a half days. Lake Charles, where I was raised, gets 62 inches a year. But Phoenix, eight. The average in the United States is 38 inches. It doesn't come anywhere close to the average. And do you know why it gets so little rain? It's because there's not a lot of evaporation going on in Phoenix, it's desert. And it has to go up before it can come down. Job, the oldest book in the Bible, tells us that in Job 36, verse 27, for he draws up drops of water, that's evaporation, which distill as rain from the midst. That's a cloud. You ever been on a mountain in the middle of a cloud? It's mist. Amen. Which the clouds drop down, there it spells it out for us, and pour abundantly on man. And what I've been just stunned by when I found this passage and some others similar to it on different subjects and the Bible is how accurate it was because you, do you know when they discovered and confirmed the existence of the hydrologic cycle? Early 1900s. And yet this was in the Bible 3,600 years ago, at least actually over that. It's amazing. God figured it out, gave us a solution and, and 3,400 years later, man says, oh, we got it figured out. Yeah, right there in the book the whole time. And then people say there is no God. Amen, they're an atheist. Kind of reminds me of my favorite cartoons. Amen, Calvin and Hobbes. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Calvin says, you know, I don't think math is a science. I think it's a religion. He's this precocious little six-year-old boy whose tiger Hobbes, his stuffed animal, comes to life, and nobody's around. And Hobbes answers a religion, and Hobbes and, and Calvin goes on to say, "Yeah, all these equations are like miracles. You take two numbers and when you add them, they magically become one new number. No one can say how it happens. You either believe it or you don't. Amen." And he goes on to say, this whole book is full of things that have to be accepted on faith. It's a religion. And Hobbes answers, and in the public schools, no less. Call a lawyer. Amen. (laughs) And Calvin says, as a math atheist, I should be excused from this. How many math atheists do we have in the house right now? I was a math atheist when I was a kid and later came to love math. Amen. But what makes precipitation so abundant here is abundant evaporation takes place in Houston and that's what forms clouds. So because there's less vapor that goes up in Phoenix, less rain. In fact, Did you know that Phoenix is only 355 miles from San Diego? And guess what's at San Diego? Pacific Ocean. Not only that, it's 471 miles only from the Gulf of California, another large sea. And do you know the reason it rains in Phoenix is because the winds push the clouds from evaporation over the Pacific Ocean and over the Gulf of California, inland, and it rains in Phoenix because of the vapor that went up somewhere else. Hmm. And it reminds me of people I know who don't send anything up and are looking for rain. And if it does rain, They only get a little and they grumble. Why? Why? Eight inches? Come on. Why so little rain? It's because they're depending upon mama's prayers and daddy's prayers and the church's prayers and the wifey's prayers. Hello, somebody. The neighbor's prayers. You got to send something up if you want something to fall back down. Amen. How many people are living with limited rain in their lives? And in terms of the blessings and favor of God, if you don't send vapor up, nothing can fall back down. And what you receive is limited because God is stingy? No. Because God doesn't want to bless you? No. It's simply because you haven't been sending anything up amen and so you're blessed because you come here and there's corporate worship going on around you but i want to talk to you about how to build your own devotional life so when you're not in corporate worship it can rain upon you and you can enjoy the rain and the favor of god every day of your life what you need to do is learn to send up your own vapor so you can receive the full measure of what god has in store for you amen as i said earlier it's possible for you to live where there's abundant rain and fail to appreciate rain because it is so easily abundant in your life you know what i mean You can come to a church like Inspire and there's rain all the time and you come in and get rained on and after a while, you don't appreciate the rain. Oh, it's Wednesday night Bible study again or worship service or is it Sunday again? I gotta go to church already or me serve, amen? Have to worship, to pray, prayer meeting, yeah, We can learn to take rain for granted. And one of the things that I've noticed is when I've preached in countries where it's worship is not free, where it's very controlled and you don't have freedom to worship how and when and where and who you wanna worship. You know, those people, they come out of that. They are like extraordinarily grateful for what you and I take for granted. And I've been in those countries where we had to have literally, you know, people standing at the door of the compound with the gates locked. And I've had to ride to the services laying on the floorboards because freedom of worship doesn't exist there. And we have to be underground in worship. And you cannot be openly a Christian and in some places where having a Bible means an automatic jail sentence and in some countries, even execution. And those people come out of that and they come into our services and tears are running down their faces because they've never been able to do this before. Oh, you, you, you appreciate the rain when you haven't had any for them. Amen. And we need that in this country. And I'm going to say this because our nation is moving. And I say this Memorial weekend because people have died to defend this nation and keep this from happening. But we're slowly drifting and not so slowly now toward the place where we might lose those freedoms I made a statement whenever the pandemic first began after the first couple of months and somebody actually became very upset at me for saying this and said that I was being, uh, you know, exaggerating the concern. I, 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 I was being hyperbolic. And they said that they didn't agree with me when I made the statement that that pandemic was an attack of the enemy against the church because they shut down churches everywhere. And the reason I made the statement and many other pastors did is because you know why? They kept liquor stores open. They kept strip clubs open, hello. You might not know this because we don't have legal marijuana here, but in states where marijuana is legal, they kept the marijuana dispensaries open, but you were fined if you opened church. Tell me that's not an attack of the enemy against the church. It is. Amen. It is. And they kept Target open and they kept Lowe's open and Home Depot open and the grocery store open. Hello, somebody. Yeah, tell me. And they said the church is not essential. I beg to differ. There is one fundamental need in your life that transcends all others. And that is the need to know God. Amen. You can see the clouds in your personal devotional life. Child abuse went up 300%. Suicide calls in one month, 700%. You can draw near to God and he'll draw near to you even more as the song of solomon said song of songs you can ask god to draw you and he will draw you god responds to our desire to know him listen to this matthew 5 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled jesus said I will not let spiritual hunger go unmet. I will see to it that they are filled. So this much I can promise you emphatically. If you will pursue God, you will find him. I said you will find him. God will show up. We love Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We love that. God spoke that to his people in a very difficult time. But the problem is we often stop reading right there. When we ought to read beyond verse 11 to verse 12. For It says then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God responds when people seek him, amen. And that's extraordinary because you would think that a holy God would never allow flawed humanity to approach him or take even the time for us, but he does. That's because he is approachable and he's not aloof and he's not distant. In fact, when you look at the Bible, you will discover that God reached out to us first. First. The second book of the Bible, God reaches out to the nation of Israel and outlined and foreshadowed in the book of Exodus. There is what is called the tabernacle. It was a tent that Moses was given the instructions for building And God told him, build it exactly the way that I'm telling you to build it. Because what I'm giving you is a pattern of a tabernacle in heaven, a place in heaven where true worship is occurring. And if you will replicate that and overlay the pattern of heaven over your worship, you will create a portal for me to come and I will show up. I will be present with you. And Moses built the tabernacle. We are told, and I've taught on this a little here and there. Please bear with me if you have. Never taken a whole service to do it. But in Psalms 100 verse 2, the scripture says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And that to me immediately poses a very serious question. How do I come before the presence of God with singing? Tell me, how do I get there? He answers his own question posed subliminally or suggested in that verse in verse number four by saying, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, be thankful to him and bless his name. And you might not realize it, But that one verse contains a a paradigm that includes a process that will help you go from outside in the world to within the presence of God. Because in this tent, as I said, there was the pattern of worship revealed. Here's a picture of the tabernacle and what it looked like that Moses built in the wilderness. And there you see it. It's got a curtain around it. And there's this tent and there's this fire that supernaturally comes up. That's just a kind of God's presence at night. It's a fire during the day. It's a pillar of smoke. And it comes from right between the wings of the cherubims on the back of the mercy seat that we'll get to in a moment. But on this end that I'm standing on, there was an entrance. There was only one entrance, not a dozen. There's only one way to God, not 15 or 20. And you come in this one entrance and the door is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the door. There is no other way. Amen. And there were three areas in the tabernacle. If you were to look at a a view, a schematic, an overhead diagram, you would see on the right... The side that I'm standing on, well, let's, let's get way over here where the red line is at. And uh, I could point at it on this side over here, you see. And that's the entrance. And then you come to the bronze altar, the the bronze laver. All of that is out in the in the yard. It's in the enclosure. So you enter his gates. That's that entrance on the right. And you come in. How do you get in? By thanksgiving. You don't even begin the process of moving toward God in devotion. Until you begin to thank him for what he's already done in your life. Amen. And I want to say this. One of the signs of the last days. The Bible said is that we would be unthankful unthankful, I dare say we're living in such a time because most of us, we look at what we don't have in our lives rather than the proliferation of the good things that we already ought to be enjoying. Every one of us have been blessed in ways that we could never thank God enough for already. Amen. Well, you don't know what I've been through. Well, you don't know what I've been through. We counted them up this week. I've had 30 surgical procedures. I've got all kind of fusions, seven back surgeries, you name it, I've been there, I've done it. My body's so scarred up, you wouldn't want to see it, but I'm telling you, they ought to invent a surgical zipper. They do so many surgeries on me. Just unzip it and zip it back up. Okay, you're good to go, get out of here, amen. Each of us have been through pain because it's a broken world we live in. But I want to tell you right now, God has been good to me. God has been better to me than I've been to myself. God has been kind to me. Amen. And so you need to develop an attitude of gratitude because that gets you from the outside into the inside. That's why even many believers, we have a term we call entering in in worship. Many believers struggle to enter in because they don't get past that first step. They can't be thankful. They don't stop to think about the goodness of God. You ought to just make a list if you're one of those. And from there, this is what the scripture said. Enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. And what that word courts means, I looked it up. It's enclosed with walls. And it wasn't talking about that outer courtyard. It's talking about once you enter his gates with thanksgiving, you're in the courtyard. But then you enter his court. It's like the court of a king just outside the chamber where the king is at. It's enclosed with walls. What's it talking about? Put that diagram back up there. It's talking about the very first room called the holy place. And then you will see there's another red line. And that red line is the veil. And on the other side of that, to the left of that line, is the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was at. And there on the back of the Ark of the Covenant were these cherubims with their wings outstretched, touching one another. And from between the wings there glowed this flame of fire. And it shot right up through the tent. And the whole nation of Israel could see it. And it did it without burning the tent. And it turned into a pillar of smoke during the day. And that was where you met the presence of God. And the presence of God means the face of God. And so when you enter his gates with thanksgiving, then you come into his court, the first anteroom or chamber with praise. Then from there you move with worship behind the veil. Never let anybody tell you that thanksgiving, praise, and worship are the same thing. They are not. There are a number of words that are used for praise. (laughs) Clapping, shouting, raising hands, bowing, dancing before the Lord. All of that is praise. But there is a place beyond praise that is called worship. You say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't believe that. The only reason you don't is because you've never been there. You hear what I'm saying? If you ever go beyond thanksgiving into praise and then beyond praise into worship, and I didn't mean that to be offensive, you will discover there is truth in what I am telling you. There's some things you don't know because you don't know that you don't know. Amen. And so you move from thanksgiving to praise and from there to worship. I thank God for these worshipers. The worship team, they help us do that. Amen. You will notice Sunday after Sunday, they begin with something upbeat as designed to help us enter his gates with thanksgiving and then move into praise. But then before it's time for me to preach, they have learned the value of leading us deeper into worship. It's like Ezekiel's vision of the water that gushed over the threshold in Ezekiel 47 of the the temple and it's ankle deep at first, then it's knee deep, then it's thigh deep and finally it's over your head. You can go and deepen, as deep in this as you wanna go, it's up to you. You don't have to stay in the shallows the rest of your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? What was that song, Bradley Cooper and who was the the lady? Did shallow, shallow. I'm not gonna try to sing it. But there's some of us that live in the shallows and you shouldn't. There's depth, deep calls unto deep, amen. And in the most holy place, the holiest of all, there was the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah dwelt there. And it's called the Ark of the Covenant for a reason. God made a covenant with man. I'm gonna tell you about God, God loves covenant. God's not gonna show up where people are not in covenant. God hates division. You hear what I'm talking about? It breaks the heart of God that his family is divided along the lines of ethnicity or color or whatever. God wants us to be one. There's only one race. That's the human race. Amen. That's all there ever has been. When I went in for the surgical procedure the other day, they called to do the process of checking me in and everything, and, and, and that was one of the questions they asked. They said, what race are you? I said, you got time to listen? How much time you got? Because I've got Bangladeshi and Bengali. I have Spanish, I have Portuguese, I have Italian. I have Norwegian and I have Swiss and I have British and American Indian. And I said, wait, I'm not done. And I've got three countries from Africa. So what would you call me? Amen. We need to move away from some of that stuff. I'm just preaching. I'm just preaching. Don't define me by what I look like. Don't define me by what you want to label me. Look, I'm a child of God. I'm made in his image. I'm made in his likeness. I carry the Imago D. That's why the enemy tries so hard to cause division. Listen to this it's because psalms 133 behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity it's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard the beard of Aaron, running down to the edge of his garments it's like the dew of hermon descending upon the mountains of zion for there the lord commanded the blessing life forevermore didn't suggest it didn't say you could have it if you ask he commanded a blessing And not just a blessing, the blessing. Big difference in a blessing and the blessing. I'll go for the blessing any day rather than a blessing. Amen. That's why God even tells us that... It's good for us to get along with one another and don't side with people that create division. He doesn't even like division in the home. And I won't tell you right now, there's not a husband or wife born that have lived together very long with their companion that hasn't fought once in a while. My wife's sitting right here on the front bench. Amen. I will tell you, we've had some great fights. (laughs) I mean, we've had World Guinness Book of Records fights. Seriously, we have amen we've we got neighbors and they know i'm a pastor so we've learned to do it like you and we whisper <laughs> amen she and i were having a fight one time and i had told her something i don't and, and, and whatever it was i mean I'm not physical this not, not no never that but i said something and and i reared back and was getting ready to give her the second verse of that same song <laughs> and she put her hands on her hips and she said, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a child of God. I had my finger cocked and ready to go off. And I went. I hadn't thought about it like that. And I uncocked my finger. Amen. 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 Somebody tried to tell me one time they had been married 50 years and never had a fight. Under my breath, I said, liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) It's not true. Not unless you were in the military in Nome, Alaska, and she was living in Texas. (laughs) Then I can understand. In the tabernacle of Moses, there was a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The Jewish historian, he was a priest, his name was Josephus, he lived in the first century, tells us the veil that separated the holiest of all from the holy place was four to six inches thick. I want you to imagine that. And it was so strong that light could not penetrate it. Natural light didn't get inside. The only light that entered was the light of the presence of God. Imagine, hallelujah. And horses tied on this end and this end could not rip it apart. That's how powerfully woven it was and strong it was. It was made of fine linen with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. The fine linen represents the holiness of God. The blue stands for his trustworthiness. And the purple is for royalty. For he's king of kings and lord of lords. And I want to tell you our God is a holy God. I want you to know he's trustworthy. Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God. He will never let you down. Can I hear somebody that knows what I'm talking about by experience say amen? And there's not another like him. And then woven throughout, there was scarlet thread which represented the blood of Jesus Christ. You can access the presence of God through the veil, through the door. That is the blood of Jesus. The scarlet thread makes it possible for you to enter in where Jesus is at. And ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen. No one during that time was permitted behind the veil except the high priest. He was only permitted to come once a year and then he had to bring innocent blood to atone for his sins and the sins of the nation. I am keenly aware when I stand up here that I am an imperfect man and I cannot demand perfection of people because I am imperfect. I don't like all these people that stand behind the desk acting like everybody's got a problem but them. Amen. I'm going to tell you I'm made of the same flesh you are. And I need the grace of God as much as you do. Amen. And the only way I get into his presence is through that scarlet thread. The blood of Jesus. I read one time and it blew my mind. That the veil was so heavy that you one person couldn't pull it back it took five priests count them five to pick up the corner of the veil and pull it aside so the high priest could get through carrying the blood If you know anything about biblical numerology, five is the number of grace. Grace gets you into the presence of God, not works. Not works of righteousness, grace alone. By grace I stand, hallelujah, to the Lamb of God. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah in this place. Hebrews 4 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But imagine this, that heavy veil that had to be lifted by five men. When it swung back into place, the priest was on the inside. That was too heavy for him to lift by himself to get out. He had to have help. And you know what that seems to be speaking to me? that it was God's intention from the beginning that we live in his presence and abide there, not just go visit him on Sunday and then leave. Hello, somebody. God didn't just want us to show up and say, hey, how you doing today, God? Great to see you, bless me and my four and no more and I'll talk to you later. That wasn't what God envisioned for us. God wanted us to abide with him. That's why Jesus said John 15:4, 15:5, 15:6 and 15:7 abide in me. Amen. There were also angels woven into the fabric of the veil. Holy angels representing the angels that fly around the throne of God crying holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And when those five priests that represent grace would pull that veil aside and the high priest went in, can you see the picture of it? Angels are embroidered into the curtain, the veil, this heavy piece of fabric that was suspended from the top of the tabernacle. And when the priest went behind it as the other priests opened it up, what they did is, can you see this? Angels were moved out of their place to make room for man to get in when you come to worship angels have to step aside and say there he is go because there's something about my praise that he loves there's something about the praise of mortals that blesses the heart of God and I'm just about to stop even angels have to get out of the way David's tabernacle was different than the tabernacle of Moses in this regard There was no veil around the the Ark of the Covenant. Instead, David positioned 288 worshipers who worshiped in shifts 24 hours a day. And all they did was worship continually seven days a week. And he removed the veil. Because you see, when you're a worshiper, there is no veil between you and God. You can come in whenever you want to. There is no set day. If you're a worshiper, all you got to do is walk into daddy's throne room. Hello, somebody. That's why I'm talking about building a personal devotional life. Can somebody again say amen? So seek him and you will find him. Seek him and you will find him. And I'm done. There's one other thing that I would say about the tabernacle and the ark. It's in Exodus 25, verse 13 through 15. God said, and thou shalt make staves of sheet of wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the side of the ark. Now, on the sides of the ark of the covenant, they put rings that were made of gold. And God said, I want you to make staves, overlay them with gold. And I want you to put them into those rings that the ark may be borne by them or carried. The staves, this is really important, shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. God said you never remove those staves, never. You see what people would do is they would carry the ark until the fire stopped moving. And then they would stop there, build the tabernacle, put the ark of the covenant behind the veil but god didn't intend for that to be where they spent the rest of their life and so they had to keep the staves in the ark because if it started at three o'clock in the morning the trumpets would be blown israel would be awakened time to wake up pack up everything the pillar of fire is moving if it was 12 noon at daytime pillar of smoke is moving Get everything together, mama, we gotta go. And those priests would pick up the ark with those staves, put it on their shoulders, get out in front of Israel, and wherever they carried the ark is where Israel had to follow, amen. You see, one of the saddest things that I read in the Bible is a verse that I would never seen before until the other day. Those staves meant that God never wanted Israel to stop following him. You will never reach the point where you can say, okay, I like it right here, God, this is far enough. God said, keep the staves in the ark. Never lose the attitude that you've got to follow God Never get it all figured out, think you know so much. Think life is so good that you don't need to seek after him anymore, that you don't need to follow him. I got everything going my way, got a great job, great house, money in the bank. I'm good, God, thank you for bringing me this far, but I'm gonna remove the staves because I like it right here. You know, denominations have done that. I'm not in any way criticizing them, but Martin Luther found that scripture in Romans, six words that revolutionized the world and started the Reformation Thee just shall live by faith. And he parked and removed the staves. And that's as far as that church went. And they started a denomination based on that. Then came the Wesleyan movement, and they were all about evangelism in the streets. And so they carried the ark out here. And then set it down and remove the staves. And that's as far as they went. And then came other denominations, even Pentecost in Azusa Street. Carried the ark, set it down 1905. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit, remove the staves. Okay, God, we got it now, got it all figured out. And God said, never, never remove the staves. I mean, I look at where we've come from as a church During the years, when we have been in existence now, we're in our 72nd year at this point. And God has caused us to have many successes. We could have stopped all along the way, but we didn't stop at the last building. And I want to tell you, we're not stopping here. And what matters more to me, and I thank God for this facility, but what matters more than this is I got to follow God wherever God leads me. And... I haven't reached the point where I want to remove the staves. We used to sing a song where he leads me. I will follow. And somewhere along the way many of us get content with where we are and where he's brought us to. Let me show you because this is one of the saddest places in the Bible. 1 Kings 8 and 8. They had lived in in the wilderness and they had made their way to Canaan and they had Moses' tabernacle and David's and then it came time for King Solomon to build the temple. And it was a wonderful temple and it was magnificent. And after he built the temple, they moved the Ark of the Covenant from David's tabernacle into the temple Solomon made. And in 1 Kings 8 and 8, It says this in the King James And they drew out the staves That the ends of the staves were seen Out in the holy place That's the outside chamber Before the oracle They kept them out there And they were not seen without That is outside the temple And they are there until this day They removed the staves Do you get the significance of that? Solomon is saying Hey this is pretty good isn't it? Look at this Look at everything going on in this temple. There's never been a temple like this. It would have cost the equivalent of billions of dollars in modern terms. And Solomon is saying, okay, God, you brought us this far. Guys, move the staves. But God said, never, you heard me, move the staves. This is as far as we need to go. And the problem with many people is they have reached a point where they're not willing to follow God anymore. And if you're going to have a personal devotional life, you've got to say, Lord, wherever you lead, I'm here, I'm ready, I will, I'll follow you. I'm not talking about moving to Phoenix, Arizona either, where there is no rain. I'm talking about constantly pursuing God every day of your life. Wake up in the morning. Good morning, Lord, how are you? Somebody asked me the other day in the mentoring class that I do for um, on ministry. We had a bunch of ministers there. I, I think it was 110 or 20 people that we were mentoring. And questions came at the end and um, they call it the bishops' importation now. And people ask me, tell me what your devotional day looks like. So the first five hours belong to me and God. First five hours, I don't wanna see news. I don't wanna read news. I don't want I I haven't turned on a TV and I don't remember when. And first five hours, I mean, I, I say hello to my wife and all of that, And but she knows that is my time with God. He has to come first, seek you first. The kingdom of God. I can't lead this church if I don't hear the voice of God. And whoever follows me will not be able to lead if they cannot hear the voice of God. And the one thing that I've learned is ministry can be hazardous to your spiritual health. Because you can get so busy in ministry you forget about the God that makes it possible for you to really help people. Without his anointing we are nothing. Can I hear somebody say amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, keep the staves in the ark. Did you put that up there? I wanna show them what I'm talking about. Did you already do it? The picture of the ark, amen. There we go. That's what it looked like with the staves in it. God can help you become a God chaser. I really am done. If you are not a pursuer of God, he can change your heart. You say how? It all begins with what I'm about to tell you. Remember Simon Peter, strong, impetuous, cornal minded Peter. Jesus openly rebuked him in Matthew 16:23. He turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan!" Ooh, that's how you lose a church member right there. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The Greek word for mindful means to direct one's mind to a thing, to seek it, to strive for it. It means to cherish it in the same way as another. Jesus said, you don't seek the things I'm seeking. They don't matter to you like they do to me, Peter. All this other stuff is what matters to you. If you're going to have a personal devotional life that is impactful, stand with me right now and we're going to bow our heads. And I want you to make a mental adjustment and say, Lord, I'm zeroing in on the things that matter to you. I'm dialing in right now. I want to matter to me what matters to you, Lord.